the Italian Wine Podcast is the community-driven platform for Italian wine geeks around the world. Support the show by donating at italianwinepodcast.com. Donate five or more euros and we'll send you a copy of our latest book, My Italian Grape Geek Journal, absolutely free. To get your free copy of My Italian Grape Geek Journal, click support us at italianwinepodcast.com or wherever you get your pods. Grazie mille. Welcome to the Italian Grape Geek Podcast. Join us as we explore personal stories of travel and tasting with Italy's must-know grape varietals. Chart your own course with My Italian Grape Geek Journal, your personal tasting companion to accompany the series. Available now on Amazon. With thanks to Colangelo and Partners for their generous support with this project. Hello, I'm Ciro, and I'm back uh, for the third installment. And this time around, I will be talking, and I did some research about specifically Incrocio Bruni, probably not the most common of uh, Italian uh, varietals. Incrocio Bruni is definitely a fascinating variety, to say the least. To be more correct, it is a crossing. It's a crossing that is found uh, mainly in central Italy, and specifically the regions of uh, Marche, Emilia-Romagna, Toscana, and Umbria, although Marche is probably the most important overall region where we find Incrocio Bruni 54. As a variety and as a crossing, more specifically, definitely considered to be one of the most successful and high-quality crossings that Ever, ever been done in Italy. The name references to the 54th attempt, hence the name Incrocio Bruni 54, uh, and specifically came to be or born in 1936 uh, by the hands of a very famous ampelographer of the time by the name Bruno Bruni. And uh, he basically crossed two major varieties, such as Verdicchio and uh, Sauvignon Blanc. Overall, uh, Incrocio Bruni 54 production or plantings as well, if you will, are quite low. It's mostly used in uh, blends, more than monovarietal wines. It's a variety that basically is uh, found only in small production as a quite compact uh, medium bunch with uh, fairly large rounded berries, so very pleasant to the eye as well. In the glass, when you look at a glass of Crocio Bruni 54, is this bit of a greenish hue, maybe originating a little bit from Verdicchio, but also from Sauvignon Blanc specifically being the parents. And it's definitely a very nice refreshing acidity, but at the same time, a rich mouthfeel. So there's a little bit of the yin-yang coming from both the, the parent varietals, if you will. And the aromas, generally speaking, tend to be more of a, you know, green melon, figs, herbal qualities, definitely very, very fascinating. And most of the wines that tend to be dry, still wines that are produced with the Incrocio Bruni 54. And at the same time, most of the wines are, you know, vinified in stainless steel and then just bottled and freshly released in the market. As far as my uh, direct connection to Incrocio Bruni 54 is really connected to when I was still living in Italy. Actually, the last summer I lived in Italy in 1999. I worked in uh, Marche, uh, specifically in Gabice Mare, the northernmost province of Marche for a summer time and that was the first time uh, locally in the hotel I worked at uh, I heard talking to the maitre d in the dining room about uh, such wines made with the Encrocio Bruni 54 or at least a percentage of it then it really went dormant as far as my experience and then you know obviously I rediscovered it later on as I got more and more involved with the Italian wines and specifically here in the United States only had the chance to honestly personally as far as the experience of Encrocio Bruni 54 and in the wines, I only had the opportunity to taste uh, 
such wines uh, with Incrocio Bruni 54 being uh, one of the blending partners. Never uh, really had monovarietal Incrocio uh, Bruni 54. It just because then there isn't you know, uh, much available at all. I think uh, the opportunity that I had was because uh, there was a trade show organized by Gambetta Rosso here in Boston a few years back, and there was uh, such wines. I really enjoyed it. I thought it was uh, you know, quite an interesting wine, although, again, a blend. And I liked it, obviously, it was uh, the story behind it. I really love the fact that it goes to show that sometimes out of two great great varietals, you can get a wonderful crossing that can make you know important wines, quality wines. They can also almost bypass, qualitatively speaking, the parents. But in spite of that, today, there isn't much uh, in the market yet. As far as here in Boston, I have to say in the market, I've never seen a wine that uh, it's individually labeled as uh, Incrocio Bruni 54. I hope there will be some. I hope uh, more people will, just like myself, first and foremost, will discover the quality potentially of uh, wines made with such a crossing. But as far as I can tell right now, I haven't seen any. When it comes to Grosjo Bruni 54 and where is most importantly planted, obviously there are the main DOP is definitely the Colli Maceratesi, obviously in the province of uh, uh, Macerata in the market. And also then it's used in some of the more generic appellations of Tuscany, like the Costa Toscana AGT, which basically straddle the coastline of Tuscany. When it comes to benchmark producer, the only one that comes to mind that I've done some research and so, it's called the Terra. Cruda, but other than that, not much to talk about just because obviously there isn't much to start with. So I think because of the main characteristics, of both aromatically speaking and flavor profile of uh, Incrocio Bruni 54, I would think that uh, it can be, you know, a terrific food pairing, as many Italian wines can be. And I think most importantly, probably with the vegetable preparations. When I say that, um, these preparations can vary from simply grilled zucchini, eggplant, and preparations as such, with a little bit of a good extra virgin olive oil and maybe some fresh mint, but also because uh, where I live, I see a lot of tempura type of uh, preparation of fried vegetables. And I think uh, the element of uh, freshness, but also structure the Incrocio Bruni 54 has, it can be also quite cleansing with something, the fried element to it. But lastly, at the end of the day, also a spring uh, pea risotto or fresh pasta with the peas, especially in the right time of the year. It can be, I think, a great accompaniment with uh, such a unique uh, variety. And uh, my hope is that... Uh, we all get more opportunity to taste them and uh, discover Incrocio Bruni 54. Coming back to America, when Italy International Academy, the ultimate Italian wine qualification will be held in New York City from 4 to 6 March 2024. Have you got what it takes to become the next Italian wine ambassador? Find out at vinitaly.com. Hello, uh, this is Chiro. I'm back for the fourth installment. And this time around, we have a grape, or actually a couple of grapes by the name Grechetto. There is to say that these are actually two types of grapes related to each other. We have the Grechetto di Orvieto and Grechetto di Todi, also known as Pignoletto uh, in Emilia. Uh, now, Grechetto di Orvieto has um, other synonyms by which is called, such as just more generically Grechetto, but also Grechetto Bianco, and lastly Grechetto Spoletino, and it's uh, most commonly grown uh, in Umbria and in parts of Lazio where abuts Umbria. It's uh, very successful actually in Umbria, and it's uh, considered to be a native grape of the Orvieto area, where it makes some uh, very, very good Orvieto wines. Grechetto di Todi 
as uh, as known in Umbria or Pignoletto, as is also known and called in Emilia Romagna, it's a name supposedly originated from uh, Pino Lieto that was given to the variety by already way back then in time by Pliny the Elder, the famous historian during Roman times, in its uh, masterpiece known as Naturalis Historia. It is definitely more commonly planted in Emilia, specifically around the hills of Bologna, and produces wines that are labeled as Colli Bolognesi Pignoletto. As far as where both Grecchettos are best located and where the best sites are, Grecchetto di Orvieto needs Generally speaking, good altitude, obviously great exposures, and loves these tough rocks of volcanic origin, which are most commonly associated and found in the Orvieto area. It is an, an overall, you know, resistant variety uh, that likes cool climate, although sometimes might be challenged by peronospora can be an issue. It can be vinified both solo or blended, as it happens, obviously, in most cases, uh, specifically in the Orvieto area, although more and more commonly you start finding expressions of uh, monovarilo. As far as Grecchetto di Todi instead, slash Pignoletto, it's a variety that loves, uh, again, the hills surround the city of Bologna with this uh, basically morals conglomerates and layered sandstones and the uh, soils which are area actually have uh, quite a bit of an amount of rain so abundant rain as far as the, the most common training system that would be the guyo when it comes to grecchetto itodi aka pignoletto and when you look at the wines in the glass obviously because we're talking about two unrelated uh, grape varieties and two obviously different wines when it comes to grecchetto di orvieto the wines are for the most part dry good acidity, good pleasant structure, and have, uh, you know, aromas and flavors that can vary from uh, apple to hazelnut in some cases, and also floral notes like acacia as well as a chamomile. Versus Grecchetto di Todi slash Pignoletto tends to produce wines that may be a bit leaner, they have more uh, sapid quality to it, definitely tend to be more towards uh, citrus fruits uh, and uh, herbal notes, And but definitely both can be a great um, food pairing, which we'll talk about. The uniqueness is that Grecchetto di Orvieto wine, specifically, can be made in different styles, meaning we have the secco, the dry version, that is probably most commonly found. Although throughout history, you would have in the area also wines that was a boccato with a slight sweetness to it, Amabile, even more sweet, and lastly dolce, which is the full-on sweet versions. At the same time, Grecchetto di Orvieto in the area of Orvieto can be found made by both Vendemia Tardiva, which is late harvest, as well as Muffa Nobile, which basically means noble rot because of the fact that there is quite a bit of moisture in the air there and you can have uh, the noble rot. Grecchetto di Todi slash Pignoletto wines instead, they're still dry wines, but they can also be made uh, in uh, the form of frizzante with a little bit of bubbles or full-on spumante, although that's uh, probably the least common of the bunch. As far as my direct relationship with the Grecchetto as a variety, probably it goes back to a dozen, 13 years because uh, I worked for about a year for um, Arnaldo Caprai, obviously a very famous winery in the uh, Montefalco area in Umbria specifically. That's when I first tasted uh, for the first time a Grecchetto wine that they produce called Grecante in the Colli Martani area. And uh, I remember falling in love with that wine wine of a beautiful presence on the palate, great structure, plenty of flavor of like both herbal quality, apple, pear, really, really enjoyable glass of wine. And from that moment on, whenever I could, I tasted a Grecchetto. I've had the wines both uh, in Italy, obviously, as I traveled there in some instances, but again, they are, you know, I would say definitely somehow common here in the United States as well. And I've had also 
the opportunity to taste Grechetto as a single varietal, as well as in some cases, both from Emilia, obviously from Umbria, and sometimes from, uh, uh, in the case of Orvieto, as a blended wine, which is the most common case there. Uh, what I love about Grechetto, or the Grechettos in this case, uh, by doing some research, is the fact also the origin of the name. Again, because uh, they both originate from the word Greco or Greek, because again, in the past, there was great fascinations with the ancient Greek world and uh, all the, the effect that the ancient Greek world had in the Western world. Supposedly, many grapes were named after such uh, history. But today, we do know, at least so far, that there is no genetic proof or relationship of uh, such relationship, uh, although the names continue to, you know, have the moniker Grechetto, and so they're called. I would say, you know, overall, definitely the wines are uh, quite available. Maybe Umbrian appellations are definitely, like Colimartani, as I mentioned, definitely more common than Emilia. But also, I've seen here and there some uh, Colli Bolognese Pignoletto and things of that nature, which is nice and uh, quite refreshing. As far as the producers that I would say benchmark, just to name a couple of names, in Orvieto, uh, first and foremost, definitely the Barberani and Mottura, they're two benchmark names. Again, in Umbria, I'm going to say Caprai, in specific Colli Martani, I worked for them, I respect them, they're wonderful, but at the same time, there's many people that are doing great things. And from the Colli Bolognese uh, in Emilia, specifically, uh, when it comes to Pignoletto, uh, Manarese is probably a name worth of mention. Now, when uh, it comes to food pairing, again, because we're talking about two different wines, with uh, and again, potentially in Orvieto, you also have different styles made with grapes, maybe late harvest and whatnot. I think these are very gastronomic wines that can span across the table from uh, the you know the frizzante style of pignoletto they can be with the lighter or lighter lighter certain degree but like a, a simple salumi plate that you find in Emilia as you go exponentially up on the ladder you know of structure and intensity you can move on also with the classic tortellini in brodo which are very common in those areas or you can have a nice broth with the chicken in it which starts you know playing a little bit more with the wines of the area. But at the same time, I think the wines, because of where they come from, because of the inner part of Italy, where legumes become a very relevant part of the local diet, when you think about chickpeas, beans, you know, lentils, uh, I think any hearty pasta made with those type of uh, uh, preparations, I think the wines can do a great job. And lastly, obviously also with uh, some great cheeses uh, as well as desserts, when you look at uh, late harvest or, uh, you know, Muffa Nobile, uh, type of style wines. Definitely very gastronomic wines, definitely worth looking for and uh, very exciting category, although it's been around for a long time. Listen to the Italian Wine Podcast wherever you get your podcasts. We're on SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Himalaya FM and more. Don't forget to subscribe and rate the show. If you enjoy listening, please consider donating through italianwinepodcast.com. Any amount helps cover equipment, production and publication costs. Until next time, cheat cheat.